Good Sunday morning, Iowa. I'm Dr. Rick Godding. It's good to have you joining me for a little bit of this morning. And um, yeah, so just going to give some a few different little updates. So we talked about this Billion Pill Pledge, which is an initiative between Goldfinch is the name of the company, and they have coordinated with the attorney general and used some of the funds from the opioid settlement. So I'll give you some background on that so you know exactly. So the opioid crisis, as everybody knows, was has happened over the last 10 years or so, maybe a little bit more. It's a case study in how the big money can really affect the medical system in this country for in negative ways. And I mean, I think that we've seen that, you know, recently and the most, the one that's been through the courts most recently is the opioids. So what happened was, so when the opioids, like we're talking about oxycodone primarily, but also hydrocodone, they came out and began to, and and what the opioids are, they're all essentially derivatives of morphine, okay? So they all work on the same way that morphine works, which is the same way that heroin works. So when we were, when I was young in my training, they would just tell us that, you know, here's this new medication option for your patients and it's not addictive. Uh, they were really, when I say they, I mean the companies that were promoting this stuff were really pushing that there was a low addictive potential. And then they made a, an extended release called OxyContin, which is a real problem uh, because it the long-acting aspect of it created a higher incidents of addiction. And so as they came through, the, the, the reps would come through and they would say, oh, this is just the safest thing. And it was really bad because their internal documents noted that, meaning the company's internal documents noted that, uh, they knew that it was addictive, but they were making a lot of money. So, and I've seen this happen. There was a medicine called Vioxx that they used to come and give samples and tell us to prescribe. And this Vioxx was an anti-inflammatory and it was kind of in direct competition with Celebrex. If you've ever heard of Celebrex, which is another anti-inflammatory. And the upside of these is they were supposed to have a much lower risk of gastrointestinal problems, specifically ulcers that can be caused by using Advil or Motrin, ibuprofen, Naproxen, those, the, that class of medications. And when Vioxx was being pushed, again, their internal memos showed that they knew that it was causing heart attacks in some people, but they kept pushing it. And they all, they paid, they paid a big fine the company and the estimates are that maybe up to 50,000 people died from it. So, you know, these things happen and Vioxx has been off the market for a very long time. So don't worry about that. And Celebrex 
has been on the market for a very long time and appears to be quite safe. So not every medication is unsafe, obviously, but what happens is these companies have this big investment that they've put into the research and then then they put a bunch of money into marketing it and then they kind of try to milk it despite sometimes knowing that it causes harm. Well, the opioids were being pushed so hard that the pharmaceutical companies had pushed for pain to be the fifth vital sign. So, you know, you have your vital signs, your respiration, your heart rate, blood pressure. And uh, they had pushed for pain to be a vital sign. And they were really pushing, oh, people are going to start suing you for inadequate pain control. So there was a lot of pressure on the physicians to prescribe this stuff. And I can remember not being very happy with all that. And there's still more people, I don't remember the number, but it's more than 50,000 a year die from opioid overdoses. It might be 100,000. But it's basically somewhere between one and two Vietnam deaths a year. The entire Vietnam War, 10-year war, are dying every year still from opioid overdoses, even with all of the all the progress that's been made. There used to be these pain clinics and they, I saw a documentary on one. I could not believe this documentary is called the pharmacist. And this pharmacist started seeing that a certain doctor in his area was prescribing opioids for all kinds of people. And he said he would see young kids come in with prescriptions and what they did is they this guy actually went to her office and started filming it because he couldn't get the DEA or the local police to pay attention to it. I remember where it was, somewhere in the Midwest. And you basically would go in with two hundred dollars and this physician would not even examine you, ask you a couple questions and then give you a prescription. You would give the physician I don't even want to use that term for this person. $200 in cash. And so they called, they, these things were called pill mills. And they were just basically unethical physicians who, not, not, no, not every pain clinic, obviously, but these, these ones that were pill mills were just pushing these things on people. And so they really began to crack down on that and good. And they, you know, a lot of doctors lost their licenses. Some of them went to jail and rightly so. So there was a class action lawsuit and I don't know if every state got money, but some states got a lot of money and and Iowa got a lot of money. I don't know what a lot is. It was just a lot. (laughs) And so the attorney general recognizing that, the opioids are still a problem because you do need them. Listen, I, you know, I use them in my practice. I mean, if you shatter your femur, you're going to need some opioids. If you have a joint replacement, you're going to need some opioids. But the question then was, well, how can we reduce this? And so we, Goldfinch came to me because they knew that my pain protocol was exactly like the one that they had been in contact with at Louisiana State University where this particular doctor had gotten to the point where 75% of his patients who had never had opioids before were not using opioids after a knee replacement or hip replacement. And so, of course, I'm very, very interested in that. And 
so we started that up and really part of it is, is goal setting and expectations and just patients understanding that there's going to be some pain and then giving fewer opioids. So they, I was giving for my joint replacements, I was giving 60 hydrocodone, which is not quite as powerful as oxycodone and, and it has Tylenol in it. And then 60 tramadols. And I would have the patients and tramadol is a little bit lower on the scale, not truly an opioid, but kind of works on the same receptors. So I was doing that on top of all the other things I do, which again, to review briefly, there's a cryoneurolysis where we freeze the nerves a couple weeks before the surgery in the office with a special machine the date of surgery, the night before you take your Celebrex. And I was giving, on the date of surgery, I was giving uh, a couple years ago an OxyContin. It was just given the one. But even that, just that one, I found that a lot of, especially the elderly patients, would have a lot of grogginess after the surgery. So I cut that one out. And this was even before we started the billion pill pledge. So I give gabapentin. With, oh, sorry. So before, the night before, you're going to do Celebrex. The day of now, I do a Celebrex, which is new for me because I was doing it just the night before. Now we're doing it the day of. Uh, we're doing intravenous Tylenol, which we know what Tylenol is, and you can give it intravenously. The anesthetist will give a block in the leg before surgery and then also give spinal anesthesia. I give a block during the surgery with a, a needle and some long-acting lidocaine. And... After the surgery, you'll have the gabapentin, which is a nerve blocker. Now we have oxycodone, which is a little bit stronger, but we're alternating that with the Tylenol. And also the gabapentin, which is a nerve blocker, and then the cream that I use. And what we've done is we've, instead of giving 120 pills, so 60 of the hydrocodone and 60 of the tramadol, I'm now giving 40 of the oxycodones and alternating that with Tylenol and still taking the gabapentin and the Celebrex. And we've only had a few patients go through, but they've given me the feedback because what happens is this is really nice is that the company has nurses call the patients and they can call the nurses anytime. And so it's another layer of communication on the pain front. And one of my patients took no opioids at all. And, um, one of them only filled 20 and didn't take them all. And the other two took less than the 40. And I don't remember what the numbers were, but they didn't, they didn't have it printed out. So we've really dramatically reduced the amount of opioids that the patients are taking. And so this has, you know, I've never seen somebody who did not have a, an addiction problem get addicted after an elective orthopedic surgery and get addicted to opioids. So it's not so much the addiction that I was interested in avoiding. It's just that the, the fewer of these medications you can take, the better off you are. There's just, there's no, there's no way around that. There's just, that's just the fact. Fewer of any medications you can take, the better off you are. Right. So I wanted to reduce that, but then also you want to get them out of the community because, um, you know, kids, preteen and teen kids, 
who are around family members who have these things are, I won't say likely, but there, there are uh, instances where the kids are stealing these medications from their grandmother or their mother's uh, or father's or grandfather's medicine cabinets. And obviously we don't want that. So it looks like the early results are very, very good. And we're going to continue pushing it and see how, how many overall over time, see how, how low we can get. Can we get to the point where the goal is to only give 20 of the oxycodones? And, um, and I mean, that's just so radically different from what we used to do. I used to give even more pain medicine, but then as these other modalities came into the spectrum of treatment, so the different nerve blocks both before and during the surgery and just using the different pain pathways with the, the other medications, we've really come a long, long way. In, and all of this builds into a better patient experience, which is, you know, there's two things that are important in a joint replacement as far as patient outcomes. One is obviously the long-term outcome. And two is the patient experience. Because if, if your patients go through it and say, hey, you know, that, was, that wasn't bad at all, then people won't be so afraid. Because I still get people coming in and saying, oh, I hear that this operation is so, so painful. And I say, well, it can happen with some people still, even with what we're doing. It can happen that some people just have a tough go of it. But I would say that it's dramatically fewer patients than before. I mean, rarely. My patients rarely need intravenous morphine in the hospital, and we used to give them button to press, and they could get it every five minutes. So it's just a dramatic improvement. And uh, the CEO of the company is trying to arrange for the attorney general to come on as a guest of the show. And I'd love to talk to the attorney general about the program and about how we can just treat the patients more safely and keep the stuff out of the community. So I just, yeah, I just wanted to give a, an update on that. And, uh, it's just another way that things are always seem to be improving on, on the medical side, at least in orthopedics. We, we seem to be, you know, really, 20 years ago, joint replacements were doing really well, and now they're doing just that much better with the robots and the designs and all that stuff, and now the pain management. So I wonder, I mean, at some point, it seems like it would just top out, but it just seems like we just continue to improve. So so that's good. And, you know, holidays coming through, 4th of July coming through, all this stuff. I'm going to take a little bit of time off, and I, I got a, an e-mountain bike, so an electric mountain bike, because over the last few years, I've just mountain biked less and less and less because, you know, I'm bigger I'm, than I used to be in my 20s, and I'm, you know, just riding up a hill, and it's just oh, such a grind. And, you know, like, well, I'm just not having as much fun. I couldn't stay out as long. So I got this e-mountain bike. And I'm smiling riding up hills because it really helps me to go. And I find, you know, I rode several hours this week down at White Rock Conservancy. If you've not been out to White Rock, if you're in western Iowa, you should check it out. It's a beautiful place, 5,000 acres of 
of beautiful forest and excellent campsites and the darkest skies in Iowa, they say, for stargazing as far as a campground goes. And there's a river and there's fishing ponds. It's really, really nice. But I'm going to go out to take my bike out to Colorado and do some riding. And uh, I would suggest anybody who, you know, if you are considering or if you haven't considered getting an e-bike and I'm talking to the people who are, you know, <laughs> who are able to ride bikes pretty safely. You don't want anybody getting out there and being on a bike that you're not safe with. But what I found is I just ride more and yeah, I'm not pedaling as hard, but I'm pedaling a lot longer and there's just trails all over Iowa to ride bikes on. So it's a good way to get out and get some exercise. Even if you're getting the, the assisting on the pedal pedaling, even if you're getting the electric assist on it, you're still, you're still moving your body. You're still outside. So it's a, it's a good thing. I think people should consider it if, uh, if they're interested at all. Um, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and, uh, Colorado actually has pretty significant restrictions on where you can ride your e-mountain bike. So I'm a little bit limited in where I can go. And there's a couple places that I'm going to go. Uh, one out on the Western slope and one, uh, sort of by Breck or by uh, Crested Butte. So, uh, looking forward to that. And, uh, my oldest is getting ready to go on a school trip to Panama, which is an awesome school trip. I can, and we didn't have school trips to Panama when I was a kid, that's for sure. And yeah, we're just kind of cruising through the summer and, uh, I hope everybody is getting outside and enjoying it before it gets too hot. And, uh, even when it does get hot, remember, get up early and get some walking outside. The sun's good for you and, uh, walking is good for you and just peace of mind and all that. But yeah, so I'll be giving uh, more updates on the billion pill pledge as we move along and get more and more patients into it. We're signed up now to do 75 patients, but the CEO of the company was looking to try to get, get it extended and possibly even an ongoing thing. Now, when I say get it extended, I'm still going to use the, the same protocol, but they're hoping to extend the, the nursing backup and, and all that stuff. And they actually give you one thing that's really kind of nice. They give you this little lunchbox and in it is sort of an electrolyte, drink that you drink the day before surgery and I haven't really gotten a lot of feedback on it yet or drink the day of surgery but I, apparently patients are feeling more vigor after the surgery when they do this and they also give you a little you know one of the things is what do you do with the pills when you're not when you're done with them you know you're not supposed to flush them in the toilet you're not supposed to throw them in the trash all this stuff well they give you a little container you open it up you pour water in it drop the pills in they dissolve and you throw it in the trash so it's a pretty cool thing overall. So we'll be giving more updates on that and talk about some new and exciting things again next week. So once again, thanks for spending some time here with me, and uh, you have a blessed week, Iowa.